Thousands of people from hundreds of families attended the Florida Parent Educators Association conference in Orlando on Memorial Day weekend. I was there also as an author and publisher of Lorehaven, joining the Realm Makers Bookstore to share novels of fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond, all from Christian authors. In March, I also joined the Realm Makers Bookstore for events in Nashville and St. Louis. Why do homeschool families love Christian-made fantastical fiction so much? This is Fantastical Truth, the podcast from Lorehaven, back from a Memorial Day weekend break. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven.com, which is where we find the best Christian-made fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond, and we apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our real-life author, Jesus Christ, has called us to serve. I'm also the co-author of a nonfiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and I was not homeschooled, but we do homeschool our kids, or we did, and some of them are moving to uh, public school, and some will be homeschooled, so we're kind of a mixed bag, and I have a lot of thoughts about homeschool, but this is episode 65, Why Do Homeschool Families Love Christian-Made Fantastical Fiction? Well, Zach, I was homeschooled, which of course, as all good homeschoolers know, is the preferred education option for all good Christians, by God. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just being a little facetious there. Some homeschoolers may act that way. I do not. It's fantastic that you all are taking, I think, a, what we call we would call a hybrid hybrid approach. You know, there's hybrid authors who are traditionally published as well as publish their own books. There are hybrid cars. Uh, now there's also a hybrid homeschoolers. I don't know if that's an official term, but the homeschoolers here that we met at these conferences love Christian fantasy fiction. That's what we will explore in this episode, looking back on that last conference in Florida, and then also the uh, past couple events that I got to participate in March. Uh, Realmakers Bookstore is doing really great stuff, going out not just to writers' conferences, but going to the types of conferences where you will find people who love to read these stories. They will walk out of the bookstore carrying stacks of books, and sometimes they will come back the next day and say, help, my kid just read all the books I got. Any more of those in that series, please? We love the homeschool world that we've been a part of. And yeah, and we've even from the beginning, we've kind of had a hybrid approach where our kids have gone one day a week to a like an enrichment academy. And even now in the public school they're going to, it's only half day. It's charter school. And so they're at home in the mornings. You know, for us, Stephen, it, it wasn't about, um, yeah, the, the evil public school system. Because I, I had great public schools I went to and we live with among great public schools. For Naomi and I, it was just a lot more personal. It was, we just want to be with our kids a lot more because of things we had gone through in life. And we just wanted more time with them. We've loved it. But, you know, the, the, the homeschool community is almost like this, I'm a stranger in a strange land. <laughs> because I did not speak homeschool when we first jumped into this. And, you know, people ask you about these different curriculums. Like, do you use this or do you use that? And look, I'm just going to be honest with you, our listener. Naomi is really the homeschooler, okay? Like, she's the homeschool teacher. I'm like the superintendent. And I help with some things, but Naomi is the expert. I love you, honey. You're doing a great job. A lot of these families are also doing fantastic jobs. Uh, I think that a lot of them especially enjoyed getting to go to uh, this event in Florida. The FPEA is this organization. I think I heard that they've been going for about 30 years, and this conference was massive. It took place between uh, Thursday and Saturday, just before Memorial Day weekend. I would love to get an official attendance total there, but it had to have been in the thousands. Wow. Our bookstore never quit uh, running. Uh, well, there was a, a, a few like low moments, you know, where just a few people were trickling through, but there were no dead moments at all. Uh, we were constantly on our feet, uh, talking with people, helping them find books, and fortunately, we had a lot of help. Uh, Scott and Becky Miner are the founders of the Realm Makers Writers Conference. And by the way, that'll be a live event for uh, Christian and faith-based creators of fantastical stories uh, taking place in July. That is a live conference in St. Louis, but they're also doing, hey, here's the word again, a hybrid approach. You can also attend uh, the online option for the live conference, but it is a live conference, not an online conference. You can just watch the videos and participate to an extent if you're not able to get there in person. Definitely see our show notes for more info about that. But then a few years ago, they started the Realm Makers Bookstore to go out and find these readers, uh, not just people who are trying to write this stuff, but people who will eagerly buy every book they can find that looks like something they would enjoy. Unfortunately, at the booth, we had a lot of help. 
uh, not just Scott and Becky, uh, but uh, author James Hannibal was there. That's kind of a brief cast of characters here. James Hannibal has written multiple books uh, for young readers through grown-up readers. Uh, he has a new book, a fantasy, coming out this fall from Enclave. And he also uh, does the uh, Dragon Raid uh, RPG game. There's a whole story there, and you will definitely hear about that later on the Fantastical Truth podcast. Uh, James, if you're listening, was great to meet you. We look forward to having you on here as well. Uh, author Julie Hall was there, Matt Michelotta, Steve Raza, who writes uh, science fiction and helps out with Lorehaven as well. Of course, uh, I was there. Uh, Darby Kern was there. Uh, he is also a writer. He's done lots of radio dramas, including the Jake Muller Adventures. And he was the primary scripter for uh, the last two Left Behind audio dramas, actually, the adaptation of the main Left Behind series. And then he also did all of the Left Behind the Kids audio drama as well. So oh, cool. uh, his work has been part of my DNA, at least uh, growing up as a, as a late teenager and young adult. And then we also had a couple of uh, really insignificant guests, uh, Phil Lawler, the founding father of Adventures in Odyssey, which is uh, even wow. more a part of my DNA. Uh, he helped start the show in the late 1980s. And then a primary cast member, Katie Lee. She's the voice of Connie Kendall and has been for 34 years as well as a bunch of other characters. Uh, her voice also figured prominently into many other animated shows, uh, particularly Muppet Babies and a lot of Disney shows in the, uh, the, the 1980s and 90s. Uh, she's a pretty prolific voice actor, and it was fantastic to get to know them. And, of course, we had many, many fans of Adventures in Odyssey uh, into the second generation, too, not just kids but parents uh, stopping by the booth. It wasn't uncommon to look over and just see the line of people uh, waiting to speak with uh, Phil and Katie, get autographs, uh, sell some books, or at least buy some books in their case, uh, and then just uh, learn more about Adventures in Odyssey. And of course, plenty of them had thoughts about Adventures in Odyssey, largely positive. You know, if you've been a listener to the show for a while, you know that Stephen and I have come from very different places in life, and now we're kind of discovering different things. And so I like to talk to Stephen about movies like The Matrix or books like The Expanse or The Three Body Problem. And that's kind of his first time to hear about those. But for me, you know, like I said, I didn't grow up homeschool. I didn't really know about Christian books, Christian media growing up. Uh, even I, I went to a, a church. I just didn't hear about some of these things. And so Adventures in Odyssey has been one of the funnest things I have discovered as an adult through my kids' enjoyment of it. My, my kids are listening to that some episode or another every single day, often on like headphones, uh, sometimes in the car. And it is so fun to get to hear these episodes that I, I just didn't even know about until I had kids of my own. So, and I'm curious, Stephen, you know, at this conference, I'm sure there were so many books I have never heard of and I try to keep up on this stuff, but what, what were some of the books that families were looking for at this conference? Definitely age appropriate books. Uh, our pitch, whenever people stop by the bookstore and largely the signage and the types of covers and the types of smiling faces you see gives you an indication that this is a fun place. You know, this is a secure place. I've compared this before, like, well, you know, a bunch of the conference vendors are selling curriculum or science experiments or, you know, particular uh, social uh, activism on the Christian friendly or homeschool friendly side. Uh, we're the dessert table, I would say. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't call us the concession stand, uh, but we are definitely uh, you know, at least the more fun area. But I think that's actually uh, not a great comparison uh, because uh, the books there are by Christian authors and very often they are full of meaning. Uh, they are full of meanings that are particularly helpful or beneficial for homeschool families. Nutritious desserts. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so it's a nutritious dessert uh, or it's just, it's just a good, fun, hearty meal, I would say. And then, of course, you have readers who have different you know, dietary restrictions or abilities. Scott does a really good job with the bookstore of tending to organize the books by age. We can point one way and say younger readers over there, you know, middle grade uh, picture books, things like that. We can point, you know, in the middle and say uh, these are for you know, older kids or teenagers or young adults. And then over in the other section, uh, which is where my book, The Pop Culture Parent, tends to go, we say oh, th these are the books for grownups. Oddly enough, we can't say that th that's the adult section. Uh, the word has been co-opted and it's, it's a bit irritating. But right, if you say books yeah. for adults or my favorite uh, term is just you know, books for grownups, that tends to work. And families are looking for books uh, because homeschool families tend to have a lot of kids, especially. They tend to be looking for books across all the age, all the age uh, uh, categories. Well, I mean, that's exactly true for us. You know, we, we have four kids from preschool, elementary school, middle school, high school. 
I, I, t- I love that, that Scott is saying, hey, here's all the different kind of age categories. So you can just, we, we could literally stick a kid in each slot there and they could just, just go hog wild with, with all the books. But also the secret is the YA books, I think it's like 40% of YA readers are actually adults. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm reading a couple of YA books right now, in addition yeah. to some very serious books, you know, fiction and nonfiction for grownups, not adult fiction, I would note again. Uh, one thing we hear often, of course, at homeschool conferences is help. I can't keep up with his reading. I can't keep up with her <laughs> reading. This person is too fast. Uh, and they usually also say he likes to read above his grade level. She won't stop reading yeah. above her grade level. That's not a condemnation. That is a praise. And that also means that in this kind of audience, you can recommend a YA book to a 10-year-old, especially if it's a book by a Christian author. Now, there may be themes in there with romance or magic or things that some parents might be a little uncertain about, and it depends on the event. Some homeschool conferences tend to attract more conservative attenders. Others are the types of homeschoolers you'll see walking up wearing a My Hero Academia t-shirt. And of course, you know, all those geeky t-shirts lend perfectly to opportunities to start conversations. You know you are a fan of these kinds of stories like that person is, and that type of person is almost entirely likely to feel at home at the Realmakers bookstore. So parents, kids, uh, teenagers walk up and they're saying, well, I'm looking for a book for my teenage girl. She's age X. And she loves this kind of book. Invariably, they'll say, uh, you know, a mainstream published book. Like the, they like dystopian or they like this or that. You know. uh, occasionally, we've met a few people who are like, yeah, I, I used to like the Twilight series. And they don't say that as if it's something to repent of. Maybe they should, but it just gives you the indication that these are not, you know, the stereotypical homeschoolers, you know, walking around in denim skirts and never leaving the house. Uh, they don't have a TV, you know. <laughs> Those types of folks are still out there and God bless them and teach them. I used to know a lot of those kinds of families when I was growing up and to my shame, I used to suspect this was somehow a more spiritual way. Now, as the co-author of a book called The Pop Culture Parent, I think about that a little bit differently. I would say the main issue that people are looking for is they're just looking for uh, age appropriate fiction uh, from authors whom they believe they can trust. We say all Christian authors, fantasy, science fiction and beyond That doesn't mean the stories are safe or clean or what you would say are family friendly, but we don't get those questions. Is this family friendly? Is this clean? Mm. At least we didn't get that at this conference or in the convention in St. Louis that we did in March. That is so interesting, Stephen, that I I wonder where that family friendly kind of label then comes from, if that's not really the first question that homeschool parents uh, ask you. but. It comes from boomers. <laughs> I'll just answer that. Largely, it comes from boomers. But, you know, I can totally relate to this. Uh, I can't keep up with the reading. So all my kids love reading. And my, my middle daughter especially is our bookworm. She, she's our one introvert. I'll take her to Half Price Books and uh, we'll, we'll come home. And I said, okay, you can't finish that book before we get home. You know, you can't finish it tonight. And, uh, you know, read slower. Stop reading so fast. Like, I can't afford all these books. This summer, she signed up for every reading program she could find. Oh, so wow. at, at the bookstore, both our libraries, a couple other venues, and she's got all these charts now that she's filling out. And you know, she came to me last night after only two days and said, I, I've already read for five hours. Wow. <laughs> and it's supposed to only be like 15 minutes a day. And she's like, I, yeah, I hit that goal in one, like a day and a half. I was like, yeah, we're, we're going to put them out of business because they got to give you a free book with each time you... uh complete a chart well that you probably can only do one chart per month but with covid with quarantine remote learning zoom learning all this kind of stuff you know our kids have been in front of books or screens quite a bit this year and uh naomi she had to get glasses when she was a kid i have glasses now but i got them as an adult and she just took all the kids to the doctor at the eye doctor and they all needed glasses i said to them look you're growing up in a time where it's cool to wear glasses. And That's cool true. To be a bookworm. That's it true. It wasn't all, it wasn't that way in my childhood, but that is a cool look. Right. Now. It is. And I've noticed too, that even from mainstream publishers, uh, we have a, as I mentioned before, we have a couple of uh, what I call youthful wards in our house, a foster type situation, both in their late teenage years. And uh, at least one of them will get these giant, very thick, you know, two inch thick fantasy books, you know, maybe 500 pages long. And she also is a big reader. And 
that doesn't surprise me now. And, and it makes me very happy to know, okay, at least in some areas of society, reading is cool. Glasses are cool. Being a nerd is cool. That wasn't the case before. It certainly wasn't the case when I was growing up. Of course, the glasses are a little bit more stylish now. They used to just not even try uh, when I was a kid. <laughs> I need to get a new pair of glasses myself, by the way. Maybe I can get the cool kind. I was uh, watching at the end of a presentation that Phil Lawler did on Saturday afternoon. Uh, he had done a, a session about Christian creativity. And a few people walk up afterwards to ask him some questions, including uh, one, one family. And they had an older girl there who was not there to ask the questions. Uh, she was there to finish reading her book. Thank you very much. She was just holding it in front of her face while standing up, <laughs> wholly engrossed. And I love it. I, I love it. You know, I love like, it. I, yeah. That's I don't great. think she was being, uh, you know, antisocial or anything. She was just really into this book. And I think it was one of the books yeah. that we were selling at the Realm Makers bookstore. So, of course, I, I definitely support that. Again, that is totally my middle daughter. So, tell me more about the Realm Makers bookstore booth. I mean, because I've been a part of Realm Makers, but I've, I guess I've only seen their bookstore in person at the, at the once, conference. And that was years ago. Yes. Yeah. So, so what was it like? What was their bookstore like at this conference? Right. Well, at the, when you see it at the conference, you're seeing a, a basic, basically an expanded version of that. Uh, at the conference, you can retail your own books if you're like an independent author. Like basically anybody who's at the conference can, if they want to, sell their books there. But when Realm Makers takes their official bookstore proper onto the road for events like this, uh, they are definitely curating the books. Not just anybody can have a book published or, or, or sold that is through Realm Makers Bookstore. They're using award winners from the Realm Award that they do every summer at the conference. They're working directly with publishers now, and they're getting the types of books they think are going to be best suited for this audience. So for you authors out there, you know, a little bit behind the scenes, we'll get into a little in this episode, just kind of throw a bone y'all's way, even though we mostly focus on fans and readers at Fantastical Truth from Lorehaven. Uh, this is something y'all need to pay attention to, is the fact that they are curating the types of books they offer uh, in order to meet the needs of their audience. It is all about serving the readers, uh, not just uh, reaching out to appeal to other writers. The types of books you have at the Realm Makers Bookstore are frankly the kind that I would have loved to see exclusively, or rather, I would love to see a Christian bookstore if they still had those around, at least the big franchises. I would not complain at all if I walked into a Christian bookstore and these were the only books you saw. And in fact, uh, Zach, with our, with our terraforming project with Lorehaven, you know, our long-term goal here is that by the year 2200, if we still have something like a Christian bookstore, this is the default product, these kinds of stories. You mean it's not going to be like the bookstore I've taken my kids to before? I'm like, hey, hey, let me know if you find any books with dragon swords, spaceships, or anything cool like that. And they're like, nope, nope, just no, bonnets. Just bon <laughs> no, the bonnets in the future uh, Christian bookstore will be in an alcove. It will be the books of heavy <laughs> doctrine, cultural engagement, critical thinking, and fantastic fiction that makes 95% of the bookstore. And then you have the bonnet fiction and the little cutesy figurines in the alcove in the back uh, next to the employee drink dispenser and the tiny restroom. Or is it just the, uh, the, the Lifeway Christian bookstore I used to work that was laid out like that? Anyway, in the uh, middle grade section of the Rest in Peace uh, Lifeway. Now, Lifeway's still around. It's web only, of course. But uh, no, the physical bookstores are gone. And that's just, that's still amazing to me. They used to be everywhere. Well, and it's very sad. I, I very much miss them. Yeah. So the secret then is to take a bookstore on the road. You keep down costs. You, you know, you, you are just not acting like this big lumbering mainstream business you know you put it all in a trailer in a van and you go to where people are already looking for books and they're looking for books mm -hmm. in the middle grade section where we have like a large contingent of the mike now rocky series the dead sea squirrels uh there's at least how many of these <laughs> now is it's like eight of them like very quirky series you know it's definitely a reaching out to you know younger audiences uh, there's the whole uh, there's a whole Imagination Station spinoff series from Adventures in Odyssey. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a bunch of series in other Odyssey books called the Young Wit Adventures, and then the Blackguard Chronicles. Uh, that one's based on an uh, actual uh, story arcs from the Odyssey audio series. Uh, Phil Allering mm -hmm. uh, was signing a lot of copies of those. And then you go further, uh, you get some picture books. Uh, we have a stray study Bible or two, you know, mainly from some of the larger publishers. But then at least in this layout, you have the middle table, a bunch of the Realm Award winners, including a lot of the books we review at Lorehaven and a lot of books that I wish we had time to review. But, you know, so many books, so little time. Uh, that's where uh, James had his uh, Dragon Raid game all laid out. Uh, definitely a, uh, a popular exhibit there. Uh, he sold a, a several of those games and I uh, look forward to finding out more about that in person. 
Uh, you had another table with Matt Michelotis and Julie Hall. They both write a lot of fantasy. Uh, and then you had a, basically the Steve Razaverse. Uh, Raz has got his own verse. <laughs> <laughs> you had other other authors yeah. represented there. Some of James' uh, grown-up books were there, along with books by our friend Carrie Neitz. And then there's the Enclave Corner. Uh, that was on the same table as my book. A lot of the books from Enclave Publishers. So a lot of uh, or a lot of a lot of books from Enclave Publisher. A lot of YA, some uh, some space opera scattered throughout, uh, mostly fantasy. And then you had a little corner for author Ted Decker and uh, his various spinoffs. And then uh, I, I basically had a little corner on my own for some Lorehaven stuff. Uh, we sold, sold some print issues of Lorehaven and uh, plenty of copies of the Pop Culture Parent. And yeah, it's just it's really cool. Just that I just basically just took a tour of how we laid it out uh, in my mind. Mm. But it was just cool to have that much space. Uh, we started off very small uh, when they were doing, you know, one or two uh, booth slots. If you're familiar with some of these events, you know, you get like a 10 foot table and a little space and that's it. But now it's grown so much that they're able to have more space more equipment, more room to showcase the books. And therefore, you know, it's a more welcoming environment for somebody to come in. It really feels like you're just coming into this bookstore in the middle of this giant exhibit hall. So uh, a couple of things I want to circle back to there. So you, you mentioned the Steve Raza verse. Yeah, I think he's written like 24 books uh, there, plus or minus. So, you know, sci-fi for the most part. Was there anything else to that level or volume uh in terms of like like sci-fi series or you know just a full-on sci-fi author Uh, not as much sci-fi no uh basically the authors who are there will get to represent and get to engage in conversation uh with uh with folks that come by so they they have the advantage i mean they're they're the face there they're the friendly face they can explain more about their books it's important for the parents especially for them to explain what's in the book you know give them a quick summary Steve Raza can say about his uh, his, his uh, the word unleashed, the word reclaimed uh, series, the face of the deep uh, sci-fi series. He says, well, it's about a young man who finds a copy of the Bible floating in space, and then the secret police is after them, and there's you know some military sci-fi and you know just fun stuff. And a lot of these parents hear, oh, boy finds a Bible in space, that sounds cool. And then there's uh, that that yeah, is and a then fun spaceships yes. and mech suits, and you know this, this I mean uh, there are lots of people walking out with you know they've just bought books one through three. Just like that, uh, just based on the wow. power of that premise. Uh, fantasy, of course, is uh, I would I would say it's still more popular, mainly because there's more of it. It would seem. Uh, mm-hmm. Andrew Peterson's books are all glorious hardcovers. Uh, they had their own space there next to the Green Ember series. Those are beautiful. Yes, and a lot yeah. of people had recent name recognition for uh, the uh, the Wing Feather Saga because of those Facebook ads you've been seeing around. Because they just they just yeah. raised every five time. million dollars yeah. uh, for the uh, uh, the production of yeah. that series at Angel Studio. So. Way to go, Andrew Peterson. Uh, you just won the yes. Christian uh, middle grade fantasy war. We did not even know we had. Uh, but Andrew <laughs> Peterson has won. Uh, the rest of y'all uh, need to go back uh, to training and then to catch up, become more powerful. <laughs> yeah. So, and then tell me more about this Dragon Raid game. What What is that exactly? Yeah, I'm not I'm not a native R- RPG, fantasy RPG person. So we'll have to have James on to explain exactly how that works. Okay. Uh, but it's it's basically uh, to sum up, it is a it is a game that originated in the 1980s. You know, not a Dungeons and Dragons ripoff, but a different type of game with its own rules, its own purposes. That was made to function as a discipleship tool. It was made for youth groups, huh. kids to engage in scripture memory, even as they were engaging their imaginations. Wow. So you open this box, and you got you know all these you know rule books and cards and all that stuff. Uh, I look forward to uh, having James demonstrate that in person. That is really cool. So yes, is if, if you've listened to the show before, you know I've talked about I I had a brief period of a few years where I was really into role playing games, and this was kind of my BC life. Uh, there's a whole lot I could share about that, uh, but I have not been back to an RPG since then. So this is 25 years now that uh, it's been since I played an RPG. It's okay. Now I say that it sounds like an AA sort of, (laughs) I've been sober for 25 years kind of thing. And that's not how I look at it. It's just more that I lost interest in it. And there was definitely a time where like fantasy novels, I just kind of avoided all that, but I have been interested in trying out something like this. There's a sort of a spinoff from Dungeons and Dragons I've looked at before called Quest. And it seems like a very family oriented uh, RPG. I don't think it's like a Christian one, but it's very, uh, very basic, very light on the kind of things that might be in Dungeons and Dragons. But 
but an RPG that's a discipleship tool in a sort of like in a it's like a wanas in disguise that that is really interesting. I think we're gonna have to check that out. Steve. Every book is a discipleship tool, though sometimes I shy away <laughs> from using the word tool in regards to fiction because fiction is a recreational tool. Uh, it's not meant to just be some you know thing that you use to wedge and get the thing to move from the other thing. Uh, it's uh, it's not just for that kind of pragmatic purpose. And yet fiction is pragmatic because the good stuff anyway is designed to engage your imagination. And by engaging your imagination, you are engaging in discipleship. You are teaching, not you know, with a lecture, not with nonfiction, uh, not with you know, a diagram of the multiplication tables, but discipleship is nonetheless going on. And of course, disciple is basically the same root word as discipline. You are saying not this, instead this. And it's for the good of the person who is learning and for the good of the teacher as well. All of these books can function as means of discipleship and not, not evangelism, not preaching. I think we need to have an episode about that at some point. Preaching is just one way to disciple a person. Even in the local church environment, you have small groups and music and other means of discipleship. Fiction is an amazing gift uh, that we can enjoy in order to become more like Jesus, which is the point of discipleship and which is largely the point of the books that you'll find at Real Makers Bookstore. Well, that is very much in line, you know, with Deuteronomy 6, where it says, uh, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk yes. about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So, you know, the idea is that discipleship, especially of our children, is always ongoing. You know, we, we do have a set time uh, with our family where we talk about the Bible. You know, we always say, look, uh, discussing the Bible is for any time of the yes. day. It's for any activity. It's not just on Sundays. It's not just on, you know, the mornings or the evenings. It, it is all the time. It's time to talk about the Bible. And we've tried to normalize that as much as possible, that it can always be a time to spend time with God. When we are new parents, this was the, the church we went to at the time. This was always their emphasis that we we see parenting and we see discipleship is kind of a, a constantly ongoing process that happens everywhere. So don't, you know, in other words, don't, don't look at church like this is a program I take my kids to once a week, but th this is the training program for parents to disciple at all times and through all avenues. And so I, I think you're absolutely right with that, Stephen, that every book that we read should be an avenue to teach our kids truth. Particularly if it's a book by a Christian author which again, does not make them entirely safe. There may be ideas or there may be things in the book that your child or your young reader is not ready for. Even in that case, that is an opportunity to engage that kind of book. If your child can handle it without more than the usual level of sin, uh, then even a book like that, especially if your child is reading above his or her grade level, uh, that's a fantastic opportunity for a new stage or a, you know, a growing stage of discipleship. Uh, let me carefully step on a landmine here. You know, I think we also have to recognize Christians come from very different denominational perspectives, and you're going to run into some of that with books, right? And but but still, it's good to explore those things to know the differences of Christian opinion about whatever it is, because we we have to sort of be able to represent what our brothers in Christ think differently, so that we we, we can have better conversations with neighbors, with friends, coworkers, what, what have you. So I, I think even that is a, is, is a win is that you can see some different perspectives theologically, not that, you know, we should pick and choose everything. I, I think we should have a denominational perspective that we hold to unashamedly, not, I don't mean dogmatically, you know, Stephen, I've kind of grown in this area just as an aside. I used to be very anti-denominational. People would ask me in college, well, what denomination do you belong to? And I'm like, I don't. I belong to Christ. Like, I'm not Paul. I'm not Apollos. I'm just, I belong to Christ. In, in a sense, there's a point to that. But I think that we we sort of have to know better, not only the denominations that we belong to, but those of other Christians we meet so that we don't create these caricatures of other people. I so agree with that. Uh, that's another future podcast episode. We seem to keep finding those <laughs> even when we're in the middle of our current topic. Uh, in this case, I can't tell what denomination they are. They're they homeschool. Well, they're homeschool Americans. Yeah. You know, it's not that they're all dressing alike <laughs> or something, 
But at least, I mean, there may be a self-selection bias here, but those who came to the Realm Makers bookstore are there because they already want what it is they see. And a lot of them come mm-hmm. in and they've never been there before. You know, Realm Makers bookstore was at FPEA in 2019. Obviously, there was no live conference in 2020. 2020. And people will come back. I saw a few people coming back who said, I was, I was here in 2019. Now I'm, back for, I'm back for more. I'm back for book two. Uh, someone said about yeah. um, a Becky Miner's uh, fantasy series. And we just get into nice. all these fantastic conversations, whether or not a person is familiar with the bookstore. Usually, if we explain what it is we do, you can see the eyes go wide. I love seeing the eyes go wide hmm. uh, because nice. you realize that you have tapped into a desire that either they knew they had and couldn't find fulfilled, or you tapped into something they did not even know they needed. You know, they'd been making do. Uh, with superhero movies or mainstream fantasy uh, that their teen or older child uh, just cannot put down. You know, the thought of finding not the Christian alternative, you know, like diet fantasy, (laughs) but you're finding amazing stories, equally amazing stories from Christian authors in in all of these genres. And I love seeing the looks on the fans' faces. I mean, uh, plenty of those looks I saw uh, when they walked up to look at the Odyssey titles. And there's Phil Lawler, Odyssey founding father sitting right there with Katie Connie Kendall wow. Lee, and he may start talking and they may not recognize his voice, even though he has done dozens and dozens of Odyssey voices over the years. But when Katie Lee starts talking and you see the eyes go wide and they go, wait, what? And you see this little cognitive dissonance. She sounds uh-huh. like Connie from the audio drama. And like Connie, the character has been in her teens and twenties over 30 years. Even the creators now will laugh at some of the, uh, wibbly wobbly timey whiny effects of their own time scale but you know she's not in her teens and 20s shall we say and yet she uh-huh. sounds like it and and she's fantastic and she loves engaging with the fans and uh just very gracious in uh in the responses of these fans who go oh oh my goodness you're you're connie like everyone wants to take pictures uh, i got to take some of the pictures for folks like it it, it became a santa at the mall type scenario you know, <laughs> it, it, or, or like, you know, what would happen if you know William Shatner went to a fan convention and was signing autographs? I mean, this is the equivalent of the celebrity actor, the celebrity booth guest uh, for attenders uh, at the homeschool conference. That's really cool. So, what what were some memorable moments for you with with talking to these readers? You know, what what were some? You know, give me some good quotes that that they said. I, I'd love to hear exactly what what they said well, on a personal note i mean there's uh, there's one or two scenarios where someone will walk up or be directed to me and they'll say hey i'm looking for a book that will help me understand what my kid is reading that will help me you know better discern uh, these kinds of materials as a parent you know from a biblical perspective and they've literally just pitched to me the topic of the pop culture parent <laughs> helping kids engage their world for christ and i will say at the conf- at the uh, at the booths like this is obviously not the top seller there. You know, I'm a nonfiction book about fiction. One of these days, I may have my own fiction to offer. But as for now, like this is the book that I'm representing, you know, as well as uh, Lorehaven itself. But when someone comes up and gives me that pitch, I can say, you know, it, it's hard not to be enthusiastic because th- this just hits me at the sweet spot, you know, creator, author, and customer service. I go, I literally have just <laughs> the book you described. And it's, you know, from a capitalistic perspective, it's a easy sell, but it's, it's more important just to know you, you help to find the very book that person was looking for. Uh, and hopefully they're going to enjoy it. Our reviews have been pretty good. Uh, certainly helps to have three authors, uh, pooling their talents uh, for that, but you just, you know, you've, you really have done some good, you know, which, uh, especially after a pandemic and the rough seasons and just the, you know, the ministry of normal family life and normal day jobs and stuff. Uh, I learned to welcome those kinds of conversations. Same thing when people walk up saying, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, my kid likes science fiction or my kid likes fantasy, uh, the Odyssey fans or the Andrew Peterson fans or any of those people who already know about the book or already are pretty sure they're going to like it. Like you get to find that for them and you get to have those kinds of conversations. That's great. Now, earlier you had mentioned you, you sort of had like a tip or, or some advice for Christian authors. So we, we normally don't talk on an authorly level. We don't talk about writing on this podcast. This is for readers. 
but we know that a lot of writers listen to this show. So what, what was some of your thoughts that you wanted to give to Christian writers? Just the normalcy of this approach really strikes me every time we try it. These are normal books to at least this group. Uh, if you've been in a mm. church, uh, particularly, or you have, like, if, if you're trying to create these kinds of stories, maybe try to publish them, uh, then maybe you've grown up with a perception that this is weird. And either that leads you as a creator to kind of shrink back. And, you know, if you feel weird, you know, you lack the confidence in this kind of story, if it's even if it's a good story, uh, or others might go, yes, I'm weird, you know, and then they go all uh, edgelord about it. I'm, my story is weird. There's no humans anywhere. You know, there's no idea whatsoever in the story that you could relate to on a human level. Uh, the title of my fantasy world and the title of my novel is absolutely unpronounceable. Um, those kinds of stories <laughs> are not going to do very well once you get them out into the air in front of these kinds of readers. And I would suggest in particular for Christian made fantasy and sci-fi uh, that this type of audience is the future is the future. Mm. Uh, if, if you're, if you still got the idea uh, that if, or if an author still has an idea, that they're going to make this story, they're going to publish it or have it published, and then it's going to take the secular world by storm and move mountains for Christ in the mainstream audiences, you're dreaming. I'm pretty sure you're dreaming. I mean, maybe it's a good dream. Maybe it's well-intended, but I think all of the evidence is against that kind of outreach. Uh, I think that it might be better to think in terms of these kinds of readers. Uh, they already love this kind of story. They're not going to be spooked if you say it's from a Christian author. In fact, that's a point in your favor. And you don't have to be overtly outrageous or subversive to these types of audiences. Uh, they would like to feel secure around you. Uh, they may like to feel, mm. you know, like they're enjoying the conversation with an author. Uh, they certainly would not want to feel that the author uh, has it in for someone who makes a more conservative education choice or who has a large family mm. or comes from a denomination that believes differently from you. Uh, there's no room for that kind of uh, untrustworthy gestures here. Uh, and, yeah. and, and an yeah. author who wants to make uh, inroads in with this audience would need to learn to respect them and build trust with these types of folks. There's also no room uh, when you're actually going out to sign books or sell books, whether it's yours or someone else, uh, there's not a lot of room for being introverted. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure how else to say that. Uh, you, like most of us, we're not sitting down. You would sit down to take a break. But for me, like I like to stand up. I like to mingle. Uh, I find that it actually doesn't cost energy. It actually helps to give me energy. But that has taken some practice. But it maybe in my case, it helped that I really, really want to do that. I don't want to be just the disconnected brain you know, with my fantasy maps and you know, as a fantasy creator plugged into my computer and basically practicing escapism, like those worlds, those fantastic worlds are for the sake of the real world. In our intro for the podcast, we say that we find the best Christian made fantasy sci-fi and beyond. And we apply the meaning, the wonders, the gifts, the graces of these worlds to the real world that Jesus calls us to serve. It is in service to the real world. And here at these kinds of events, you get more of the real world. You get those practical questions. Is this age appropriate? You know, what's in the book? What's it about? So, you know, real world cover choices and how you pitch the story will affect the real readers that you as an author are trying to reach out to. You have to engage as a person and you definitely have to learn to respect different beliefs among your Christian family members. Well, that's so true about, uh, yeah, homeschool families don't want to be, uh, uh, singled out and uh, sort of shunned. In fact, I was just talking to a friend uh, two weeks ago that said, unfortunately, his pastor said things like that from the oh. pulpit. And, and, and he just felt very singled out by that. Because, I mean, the reality is it's like, what, less than 5% of families homeschool? It's only a couple of percent. It's not very oh, much. Even after the pandemic, it's still, I mean, the numbers have been going up uh, after the pandemic. And I, I hope that they will stay up and I hope that those who choose this education yeah. option will stay with it because it is a fantastic option for Christian families to train their children, to disciple them in practical education as well as spiritual education. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, with our family, we're, we've had kind of a hybrid approach all along. Our approach is mainly every kid, every year, we're going to, we're going to see what's best. Uh, so we, we haven't really 
had a particular mindset we've gravitated towards, which by the way, that reminds me, I, I want to plug an episode by Thomas Umset Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, or maybe it's the Christian Publishing Show. I get his two shows mixed up, where he talks very specifically about how authors can communicate better to homeschool families. And I, I think if, again, if you're an author, great thing to listen to. But even if you're a reader, I think that's a great episode to listen to and sort of maybe help you even clarify your own expectations of what you're looking for in novels. But uh, yeah, Stephen, you know, I, I think of the Tim Hawkins song, The Homeschool Family. I think of Jim Gaffigan joking about his, uh, his well, now five kids. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of fun. You know, we, we can make fun of ourselves, but you're right in that we don't like to be made fun of. We don't like to have stereotypes kind of pushed on us. And, and yeah, I, I think that it leans more conservative for sure. And so I think we just have to kind of be aware of that. But I, yeah, I love the homeschool community. I'm so glad for all of the friendships we've had and we still have through that. So uh, I'm just jealous. I wish I'd been at this conference. It sounds like it was a lot of fun. Well, maybe someday we can get you there. I, I look forward to doing more of them. Uh, I got to cameo basically at the Nashville conference, uh, which was a teach them diligently event, a very huge event every year. And uh, I wasn't able to spend more time there, uh, just enough time to uh, hear from the the homeschool dad who made it very clear to me. And I think his teenage son also made it very clear to me that they wanted no magic. Thank you very much. Uh, the, and <laughs> so I had to think, okay, which of our stories have like zip, zilch, zero magic? Like, well, it's one's with spaceships, well, ones with yeah. spaceships <laughs> may help, but even there, you know, I, I guess, you know, that that's where I have to practice what I'm preaching right here because fantastical truth listeners and lower haven readers know that i'm not opposed to magic i feel like i've been doing the biblical homework to understand the reasons why god forbids his people to participate in the occult it's not because of a thing that looks bad or unspiritual or demonic it's because of things that can actually endorse the idolatry that's in your heart that craving to know the future and to protect yourself and to control your world anything that feeds that sin needs to go uh, if fiction magic does that for you, great. Then you need to put it away. And Zach, we've talked about that and you've done it. And occasionally I've had to do it. But in this case, like, I don't think these books are going to tempt the reader to indulge in that kind of idolatry, now, particularly in this kind of reader. You know, there's, there's going to be other temptations for sure. Uh, but I, I, I think for some folks, I can safely rule out. Like, yeah, I, I don't think you're going to be tempted to the occult there, man. Uh, you're, you're going to be, <laughs> you're probably going to be okay. There's other sins you need to be on guard for. So I had those kinds of conversations and I have to, I can't give that whole lecture there. I just gave it now, but I have to just respect that. Say, okay. This is your choice for your family. You know, I, I can guess that you may not be tempted in that direction, but who knows? Maybe you are. And either way, you know, parents need to be on their guard. That's part of discipleship. So I need to respect that. Uh, that was one notable conversation there. Uh, and then the, the, the event in uh, St. Louis, like had also some fantastic conversations. Uh, yeah, I wish you could have been there. Uh, it is a lot of fun, uh, to connect with people. And then, yeah, if back to our little section here, uh, if you're an aspiring creator yourself, uh, then at least thinking on this level, uh, is certainly great training to understand how to serve readers, uh, not just to feed the creative impulse, uh, but to actually, if you want your stories to go somewhere. If you want them to help minister to the body of Christ, uh, this is how you've got to be thinking. Well, it sounds like homeschool readers are very hungry and Christian creators have a great opportunity to meet a need. And like you said, maybe not chase the dream of being, you know, on the front and center bestseller list at Barnes and Noble, uh, right when you walk in, but on these more, uh, I guess you could call them obscure events happening in uh, you know hotels across the country for homeschool families who are looking for tons and tons of books. And maybe this is the place for you if you're a Christian author. Uh, but to you, our listener, uh, we, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you are a homeschool family and reader, we'd love to get your thoughts. If you were there at this conference, uh, if Stephen didn't get a chance to meet you, or if Stephen did meet you, we'd love to hear from you. So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. And now let's uh, open the mailbag and see what we, we've got a couple of uh, notes here from our listeners. So first up is Brielle from Australia. All right. We got, we got a listener from Down Under. You wrote to us about episode 63, where we explored the different biblical possibilities about extraterrestrial life. 
And Brielle wrote, quote, I found this a very interesting episode. I'm in the category of loosely holding the belief that there isn't life on other planets. It's not impossible biblically, but I see no reason to expect it. Regarding the connection between aliens and demons and the fact that there's certainly a physical component for some of the phenomena, I would mention that angels can definitely interact with the physical world and even have what seems to be a physical body. For example, Lot's escape from Sodom comes to mind, as well as the angels who ate with Abraham. So I wouldn't entirely rule out demons doing something physical. Interestingly, the question of how the fall and redemption would affect aliens actually can be asked of fantasy races too. Does God become incarnate as a man, an elf, or whatever other sentient species you've come up with? I don't know if I've seen a fantasy novel that takes that question to an account. Though I know Tolkien wrote a bit about uh, the incarnation and the mending of the world, so I suppose it can work if the problem is that the world was broken, not a specific man sinned. The idea that it's inconsistent for the curse and the sin nature brought by Adam's sin to spread to all sentient beings, but not but for the redemption of Christ to only be open to humans was one I hadn't thought of before and find interesting. I still don't think there are aliens out there, but there's plenty of room for people to explore possibilities in books. End quote. Great thoughts, Brielle. I really like everything you said there. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'll have to defer to Stephen about the, the Tolkien uh, references. Again, I'm, I'm still kind of more of a new reader to Tolkien. You know, this this whole idea of angels and demons having physical interaction with the world, I have definitely thought about that a lot. I mean, just from the very beginning, we see an angel with a flaming sword guarding the entrance to the uh, to the Garden of Eden. And so certainly there is a physical component in some way. And in, in, yeah, and when people see them, I mean, they see a they see something and they're terrified of it. But at the same time, they're they're spiritual and so they're invisible at times. And I don't totally understand that. It, it's all, and here's the interesting thing. It's, it's like they're interdimensional beings and they kind of move between these different dimensions. And, and that is interestingly, one of the secular hypotheses about aliens is may, maybe they are not just, you know, little green men and flying saucers. Maybe they are moving in and out of the, kind of this universe in some way. Uh, we also got a note from Caleb C who also wrote about episode 63 saying, quote, just listen to your episode on aliens. I checked your website to see if Lorehaven is reviewed, but only found a brief description for The Dream Thief by Stephen Lawhead. I read this in the 1980s and remember that the last survivor of a Martian civilization who guards the archives of the salvation story of the Christ who became a Martian and died a sacrificial death to save them. I only thought it deserved a mention in the larger discussion. Thanks for your podcast, end quote. Well, Caleb, that is funny enough. That is the second reference I've heard in a week to this book, The Dream Thief by Stephen Lawhead. So now it's on my radar. <laughs> I've got to put it on my list. So I actually sat down and made a calendar of books I'm going to read this summer. And I'll have to figure out a way to put that in. But that sounds like a fantastic book. Thanks so much for sharing that, Caleb. Yeah, Caleb, at uh, Lorehaven Reviews, uh, unfortunately, just because there are, as the t-shirts say, so many books, so little time. We usually focus on the Christian-made fantasy and science fiction that tends to be a little bit more recently released, especially with authors who are still active or still around uh, who can you know, potentially appear on the podcast or write for the site. I mean, those are the kinds of stories we do want to emphasize. However, uh, if there's popular demand, we'll certainly go back and uh, readdress an older book like The Dream Thief or any other Christian-made uh, work of fantasy or science fiction uh, that bears uh, re re-examination. Uh, even if the book has been published uh, several years ago. Finally, uh, we had a lot of feedback in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we got a note from Kevin R., who wrote about episode 64, the one about the masks as a parable for infections from fiction and the usual Christian divide between grace and law. And Kevin wrote, quote, When I read the title of this latest episode on masks and the virus, I couldn't have rolled my eyes any harder. I have to confess, I almost skipped this one out of sheer fatigue on the subject, but alas, I pushed through and found gold. You guys really have a way of presenting things that keeps me hooked, and I found myself amening you when you mentioned how this analogy you guys were using would preach. As a pastor, I found myself very much thinking the same thing, and now feel like I may have to incorporate some of your analogy elements into a future sermon. What a great idea to use the vaccine slash mask dialogue to model grace versus works. And so I went from a mentality of skip this one to preach this one. 
Thanks again for thoughtful and grounded discussion and bringing the usual balanced blend of theology and imagination through the tool of speculation. Bravo. End quote. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, your note on that literally arrived at a time when I really needed the encouragement. And that's part of why we list these fantastic feedbacks. It's not just to give ourselves a pat on the back, but to demonstrate how much your encouragement means to us. You know, fantastical truth is obviously not this gargantuan podcast with millions of listeners every week and then you know ads for earbuds and meal delivery services uh, that help uh, keep us in the streaming players so just the encouragement there is uh, is sufficient to help uh, keep us going uh, because we know that uh, it is encouraging to use these even even trending headlines even a few controversies like this as means to explore human imagination and those bigger gospel ideas well, and to the homeschoolers out there, whether you are a homeschool student, homeschool teacher, uh, we would love to hear from you with feedback from this episode. What has been your quest like to find books, uh, especially if you have a large family with lots of different ages of readers? And how has that gone? Uh, what would you like to share with us? So send us a note to podcast at lorehaven.com. You can also use the feedback form at our website, lorehaven.com slash podcast, where we have the complete archives and all of the show notes for going on 70 episodes now. If you prefer social media, you can drop us a comment at our Lorehaven page on the Facebook. We're also at Lorehaven on Twitter and at Lorehaven Mag on Instagram. Next on Fantastical Truth, what if dancing could control your world and your world was a floating island among many islands? and you had just escaped from a legalistic order that had ruled your island. Well, that premise may sound familiar because we visited this world in one of our first episodes about the novel Hidden Current. This time, author Sharon Hink will join us to explore grace and true heroism versus legalism and false leadership in her recently concluded fantasy trilogy, The Dancing Realms series. Meanwhile, whether you are homeschooled, public schooled, private schooled, or not at all schooled, we hope that you will pursue Christ's gift of discipleship through the nonfiction teaching that you get and however you're educated, as well as the fantastical fiction that you enjoy, whether or not that's made by Christians, but especially made by Christians if it's excellent, because now you're reading at least a story from family members who can join us in our quest to seek and find fantastical truth. <laughs>